Welcome back to the MindBod Adventure Pod. I'm your host, Tasha Schumann, and this is Jeff Warren. Very good to be here. So our ambition with this pod is really to become part of your daily or weekly meditation practice. So we bring on a variety of different guests from different traditions and different practices, and we actually sit or lie down or walk or whatever the practice calls for together and try it out. So it's a place to explore different practices in real time and then also to unpack it afterwards. So we engage in conversation with our host about what the practice means, what we can do with it outside of you know the podcast and how we can bring these practices into our everyday lives. So Jeff, let us know about today's exploration. Yeah, so if you live in the US or Canada, you may have noticed this movement to acknowledge the local indigenous groups who've historically lived in a particular territory. So for example, Tasha and I live in Toronto, Ontario, and this is where our nonprofit meditation community group, the Consciousness Explorers Club, the CEC, it's where we operate. So these days, at the beginning of every CEC retreat and meditation sit, even our virtual events, we say some version of the CEC operates on the traditional territory, the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and the Mississaugas of the Credit, and is covered by Treaty 13. So we say this as a way to situate us in an actual physical place. And we also say it because we support the movement of truth and justice and reconciliation for Indigenous peoples in this country. It's been way too long in coming. So in today's episode, we explore the inner practice of land acknowledgement of territory and ancestor acknowledgement. Our guide, Warren Hooley, actually teaches at the CEC. As you'll learn, his heritage is a mix of Indigenous and white. And he's really wrestled with this question of why territory acknowledgement matters and how to, I guess, engage with it in a way that's meaningful and real for the person doing the land acknowledgement. So the practice has three parts. It starts with the acknowledgement of local indigenous groups. Then it goes into an exploration of our own ancestral roots. And finally, there's a practice piece around connecting to the land itself. Yes. And this practice is so different from anything we've done before it was really, really heart opening. So first, Warren uses um, singing and drums. It's the first time we've had any kind of song as part of practice on the podcast in a ceremonial way even. And for me, it was a really, really deep and intense practice because it offered me an opportunity to explore my own mixed ancestry and roots and to see what that means to me, what it means to live in this territory, what it means to have ancestors from other countries. So it was really quite a beautiful and deep exploration. Absolutely. It was so good. Uh, so <laughs> without further ado, here's Warren Hooley. All right. Welcome so much to the podcast. Really excited to have you. Welcome, Warren. Welcome, Warren. <laughs> so maybe you can start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, about your practice and, you know, what you'll lead us in today. Sure. Sure. So my name is Warren Sean Hooley. Sean and Hooley are Irish names. But my father's actually mostly Ukrainian in English. And then my mother is Okanagan Seal Indigenous from a place in British Columbia, Canada, now known as. So I've got this split ancestry and it's been had a huge impact on my life because half my life I grew up in a predominantly white middle class suburb in Ottawa, Ontario with my dad. Another half of my life I grew up on a reserve in pretty extreme poverty but with this incredible rich culture and also a lot of intergenerational trauma and all the effects of that as well. I actually moved back when I was 17. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't like 
the most shining moment at the beginning. I was very much like a pothead and a stoner gamer who just hid from the world. When, when you when you live in a reserve, you live outside the structure of the capitalistic colonial world. And so the pressures that usually exist that get you to be productive and do aren't there, which there's pros and cons to. You know, it took me a few years. Eventually, I found my way and I started to learn about my culture and I started becoming creative again. I went to this art school called the Anaukin Center. And that's really the turning point in my life where I started to really open up again and build my confidence and start to thrive. Cool. So that's a little bit about me. Um, and now I'm a, I'm a workshop facilitator, mainly focusing on indigenous allyship, compassionate communication, decolonization, things of this nature. And I'm so lucky I get to work with groups of youth, sometimes with staff and teachers at schools, sometimes organizations and companies. So yeah, um, that kind of brings me to today. Nice. Can you tell us a little bit about the practice that you're going to guide? Yeah, I do. I do an indigenous allyship workshop with my dear friend, Paul Kliniks, who's from the Heisland Nation, full indigenous woman. And we led these practices. And part of that, where we're even teaching people how to build their own territory acknowledgement. And there was a lot of talk for a lot of years to this day about acknowledgements just feeling forced and they're just saying it. It doesn't feel like there's much heart behind it. And so I actually led this thing called, I called it my facilitation club a number of years ago. It was basically like a personal development club and I ran it once a week and I really just took the time. I was like, I'm going to really try to evolve and develop my territory acknowledgement because I'm doing it every single time I do a workshop. And so I took that space and actually asked for feedback and I kept evolving this practice over time and it became a more like mini ceremony of guiding someone through a process of connecting to the land, connecting to their ancestry, connecting to their potential. And yeah, it, it, it is influenced and inspired by some of my elders' teachings that I've learned around what do you do when you come to a new territory? Like, how do you honor the people. So there's some elements of what I've been taught all mixed in there. And so, yeah, that's what I'm going to do today. Oh, nice. man. So much to talk about there. I'm, yeah. This is going to be awesome. Well, thank you for sharing this with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay. So basically, I'm going to start things off by singing a song. And while I sing this song, my invitation to you is to go inside and really feel yourself connect with the land, the natural world that's all around you. So that could mean connecting to all the elements, the mountains, the waters, the trees, the, all the plant life, all the animal life, and just allow yourself to go on a journey. Sometimes I find myself really thinking about one thing specifically. Sometimes I go to many different places. Just trust where you naturally go. If you do notice yourself, wander a little bit. Just see if you can come back to connecting with the land. And then once I finish the song, I'll take us through a bit of a guided meditation around connecting to the land and ancestry. So... Just find yourself in a comfortable sitting position. You can take some deep breaths. I, I'm always a strong advocate for breathing into your belly. And just really 
relaxing yourself as you exhale, coming into a place of center and connection to the earth. staying inside I'm going to invite you to take one deep breath into your into your belly and I want you to imagine for a second how many songs maybe traditional hand drum songs like I just sang may have been sung in the very area that you're in right now over thousands of years How many traditional dances may have been danced by the local indigenous people? How many ceremonies were had? How many traditional stories were told? 
and seeing if you can feel yourself and, and connect with this rich culture, this diverse culture that existed for generation after generation after generation passed on. And just feel if you can connect with and find a place within yourself that can acknowledge this rich history that comes before you and that continues to exist to this very day. Now, depending where you are right now, some places that culture does not exist to this day. It may have become extinct, quote unquote, but still lives in the ancestry of the land of what comes before. So either way, I'm inviting you for just a moment within yourself to just find a sense of acknowledgement, a recognition that Indigenous people have learned such incredible ways of living in harmony and as part of the natural regenerative cycles of the specific land that they lived on for thousands of years. And that as people who may have been raised in a more Western world, we can still find more balance between the brilliant qualities of the Western world we live in and with humility, learn more about the indigenous ways as well. So I'm just going to give a couple moments of silence here for you just to continue to find a way to acknowledge that in a way that feels comfortable and natural to you. Inviting you to take a deep breath into your belly. I'd like to shift our attention to connecting to another part of us. And this is something that you may have not spent too much time with or no time at all. And that's okay. But what I'm going to invite you to connect with for a moment is what I like to call the full spectrum of your ancestry. If you look at any single human being and you go back in their history, and I don't just mean your recent relatives, I mean going back decades, centuries, millennium, there's a really big spectrum of people that live in your ancestral line. You know, there's people who definitely have caused a lot of harm people who've been the oppressor. There's a lot of people in your ancestral line who've also experienced a lot of that harm, have been oppressed, experienced a lot of trauma. But sometimes I think we forget that there's also an incredible 
collection of ancestry, ancestors that were incredibly beautiful and courageous and vulnerable and loving and contribute to incredible things that happened throughout history. And a lot of us, I think we live and we move through life and we, for many different reasons, the ancestry just doesn't really get passed on to us. We, some of us, we move to a place like North America and our connection to our, in my case, my Irish and Ukrainian roots just die. I talk to my grandfather and I ask him and he doesn't have any sense of that. So that can be true for a lot of us. It just fades away. See if you can connect to it. And it might be kind of hard. It might be a little bit tricky. But see if you can connect with that full spectrum. And I'm, I'm a really strong believer that coming to terms with everything that came before us, all of the ancestry that led to us being who we are today in this very moment. And when we go on the journey of accessing that ancestry, yes, there may be some intensity, there may be some processing that needs to take place, but you also access all the power, all the incredible brilliance that comes from your ancestral line and all the different lines that is. So I'm going to give it maybe about 30 seconds of, 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 of silence just to feel yourself connect with this. But I'm going to invite everyone to take a deep breath into your belly. Maybe just feel as you exhale, we'll kind of clear yourself, bring yourself back to a sense of center, letting go of any unnecessary stress or whatever you're holding. So breathing into your belly. And I'm going to invite us into the last section that I'd like for us to to explore. And that's coming back to our connection to the land. And what I want you to do for a moment is I want you to connect to the part of you that has this innate potential to form a deep relationship with the natural world that's around you. Just like you would build a relationship to any other human being. Every single day you have this choice to go out onto the land. And it could be as simple as going for a walk down your street into a park or as much as going in deep into the woods and taking the time to really have a conversation or sit in silent meditation, even just do actions and recognize that the more that we act as stewards, the more it continues to exist and thrive so that it can give to us. I, I really feel a lot of us, including myself, 
we still haven't fully tapped into the full potential of how much the land can support us, how much it can hold us, how much it can take and hold the grief when we're feeling grief, or how much energy it can give us to stabilize us and feel grounded, how much we can utilize the water to wash away the things that we're carrying that are not helping us. How much we can breathe in that fresh air that literally has nutrients in it that feeds us and, and makes us come more alive. There's so much that can be in this profound reciprocal relationship that really nourishes both sides. Even take a moment to visualize you developing that relationship. No matter how small of a step or how big of an action that could be, but take a few moments just to, to connect with that, developing that relationship and strengthening that relationship. And I'm just going to play the drum softly for a few moments, just as you go on that, that connection process. And to end this practice, just like we started, I, I feel called to, to share another short song. And again, as, as I sing the song, just inviting you to keep exploring everything that I've mentioned, connecting with the full, rich ancestry of the Indigenous people that live around you, to connect with the full spectrum of your own ancestry, and to really visualize and see your own potential developing a deeper relationship with the land with the earth, with the natural world that's around you. And I'm going to sing the heartbeat song by the Lilouette Nation to just honor your heartbeat and you being alive now and having this capacity, this power to choose and create your life. <laughs>
To end this process, inviting you to take a few deep breaths into your belly. Hmm. Feel free to kind of sigh on the exhale. Just feeling a sense of appreciation and honoring yourself for just going through this process. Hmm. And in the Okanagan language, I just want to say limlumt. Limlumt is a way that we say thank you, version of thank you, for just being willing to kind of go on this journey and take the time to kind of experience a form of ceremony, something that maybe we're not used to so much, but I, I really want to want to bring it back and find new ways of experiencing this together. No matter where you're from, no matter what walk of life you come from. So thank you. Thank you, Warren. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That was so profound. (laughs) Even just on a physical level, I feel so relaxed and grounded. 
like an authentic letting go, releasing, relaxing into the into the earth, into the elements around me. Hmm. Yeah, I feel a lot of grief actually. Um, it's not easy what you just invited us into. All three parts of it. Honestly, you know, connecting to the indigenous heritage of this land, knowing the things that happen, connecting to your own ancestors and that invitation to see all the the good and the bad in that, you know. And then finally, the land itself. And that heartbeat song is a really beautiful song, but it's a very mournful song. I mean, it was, at least mm. for me, the, it made me really feel the pain in the land. I have so much strong feeling about the land and feel so connected to this place, which means I can't not see the garbage everywhere, the landfills, the the clearing cuts, the species diminishment. All that's part of opening to what's here. So I found it, there was a lot of heartbreak feeling coming up too in that as well as poignancy. Uh, it was a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, I actually felt a lot of grief as well. It's interesting. I think every time I do it, I can connect to different pieces. Sometimes I feel this incredible happiness and appreciation. And I'm like, I feel connected to my ancestral line. And, I'm, you know, so every time I've done it, I feel like I can go to very different places. I think all of it's just our process. And I do think developing a healthy relationship to this process can also be tricky. I'm a strong believer that the Western world can tend to teach us more unhealthy ways of approaching. So when we feel like that grief, we can go to maybe start feeling anger and judgment and hatred towards all the people who are, we perceive as committing the acts that are mm -hmm. damaging the planet or have oppressed indigenous people. And so that's also been a strong journey for me is like, what is maybe a healthy way? You know, how am I going to come to terms with these things? How am I going to allow the grief process to happen? How do I have other people I can join space with to do that with each other? How can I build a practice of doing that with the land? Um, I have this diagram that we teach in the indigenous allyship training, and we call it the, uh, the, the wall of shame, the wall of shame diagram. And we tried to coin this term that described why people, when we talk about these topics, can become very defensive or have they have this basically a whole myriad of coping mechanisms that they'll revert to because usually unconsciously what happens is some form of intense emotion is happening and it's past their threshold. Mm -hmm. And so they have to cope with it in some way. And a lot of times that looks like completely bypassing. They'll deny it. They'll rationalize it. You know, they'll come up with radical beliefs that justify why they don't have to feel anything, why they're not responsible. Um, they might victimize themselves, be like, no, like I'm the victim here. I'm also a victim. Mm -hmm. uh, they might persecute, like, like I said, with the judgment and blame. Um, or they might go even to a rescuing mode where they try to rescue those that they perceive as victims. Those are the kind of four that I've identified. And so what's the alternatives to those maybe not so empowering ways of responding? And so for each one, I kind of like, instead of persecution, how do we become more like assertive? How do we connect to that fire, that anger that we feel and allow us to learn to set healthy boundaries, to take action that contributes to make, creating the change that we want to see in the world? Instead of victimizing, how do we learn to empathize? Do we learn to like really feel in our hearts and care for other people and and imagine what they've been through emotionally. 
that's something that I did not learn how to do till, till I was 27. And I found the world of nonviolent communication, compassionate communication. And prior to that, I just had no concept of empathy. And of course I dissociated. Of course I bypassed the majority of my life. I had literally no skills, not a single one. And so instead of the victimizing, the empathizing, instead of the rescuing, I really recommend like more consensual supporting, you know, find out what the person actually wants. Don't, don't act like you know what they need and be like the superior person. Like, you know what they need to become civilized or it can look like a lot of things. Instead of bypassing, how do you learn to feel? How do you learn to feel and learn to actually go through the emotions? And so it's something that I'm a really strong advocate for is like as a group of people learning together how to come to terms with these things in a healthy way. I think that's what I love so much about this practice was that it was this vast container that was like big and strong enough to hold everything that was coming up. Mm. You know, like Jeff, I felt a lot of grief as well, but there was, I had all these epiphanies of things about my own attachment to the land and ancestry that like came up in this meditation or this practice that I realized just haven't come up before because they there wasn't a safe place to do it. Hmm. And a little bit about my ancestry. I'm first generation person here in Canada. My my dad's side is from Jamaica. And so there's that whole like, you know, lost lineage there of slavery and oppression. And on my mom's side it's German and I was raised by my grandparents and my grandpa basically, you know, was a kid post-war Germany and at 17 hopped mm. on a boat and was like, I'm out of here <laughs> and came to Canada alone and penniless, you know? So on both sides, I don't know what those lineages look like. I've never known. And you said something in the practice, which is that, you know, you can try connecting to your ancestral lineages through things like music. And it was like mind blowing to me because I, I am a classically trained piano player who grew up playing you know, the German classics. And then in my career, I've been a rap and like dance hall artist. And mm. so I'm just realizing it's like, I have been <laughs> trying to connect my entire life with these two things. I've made a career of it. It's like my hallmark in the world. And I was like, oh, I do have my indigeneity. I don't know the stories or the people or the faces, but it's like, it's my offering to the world. It's like, it's always been here. And then another thing that I was thinking as well is when you first invited us to think about the people who had lived on the land before and what this might have looked like. And I realized it was for when I was a child, I was very, very obsessed with indigenous culture. Like we spent all of our time in northern Ontario. We would go to like ceremonies and, you know, I used to make my grandparents buy me like elaborate costumes that were, you know, it's probably inappropriate for a little mixed Jamaican kid to be wearing all these. But it was like, and I built this, my imaginal world was that, you know, me and my grandpa lived in a teepee out in the woods. And it was, mm. for me, it was this, it was like this kind of imaginal escapism from the trauma of my actual world. But I connected so deeply with indigenous um, Canadian, North American, whatever culture. And so I was just putting all these things together as you were leading us through that it was part and parcel because I wasn't connected to my roots, my ancestry. And I, as a first generation Canadian, I was looking around me and realized that there is so much here already, the indigeneity of, you know, peoples that have been here for thousands of years. And 
I, I think even just as like a five-year-old, I looked at that and I was like, I want in. How do I get, how do I get connected mm -hmm. like this? You know, And it's even in my connection to Tibetan Buddhism, which is also very indigenous. So anyways, there was just all these revelations for me of ways that subconsciously I've been looking for this connection. And so it was a great relief just to be able to sit here and get a little teary-eyed and connect to all of it. So mm -hmm. it was really beautiful. Ah, thank you for sharing that. I just found myself smiling. Yeah, it was great. It's really, that's why I'm saying like there was so much grief in it, but the practice was big enough to hold it for me. I really appreciate you saying like the container holding it. Yeah. It's mm. like, something you know, about that. I think yeah. like there is so much trauma. That's why we don't visit a lot of this stuff, you know, ancestral stuff, even just like near ancestors. I'm like, I'm not touching that today kind yeah. of a feeling you know but even just from the opening of the drum and song like i said when i was a kid i was just totally obsessed right so i have just like a strong visceral reaction to hearing like a voice and just any kind of indigenous drum or like you know and especially as a musician or whatever but so even from the opening moment i was like oh man this is going to be a trip. We're going to go in today. It's amazing how the drum helps create that container. <laughs> Even the just, mm -hmm. it's like there's, I almost longed for it in the middle, you know, like throughout it, like mm. as a framing. Actually, when we, when I did the silence for the ancestry part, I thought about it. The only thing that I'm a little tricky of is like, if I play an indigenous song for the ancestral part is like, is it going to pull you towards something that's it's going to color it a little bit. Like, I want you to go to your ancestry, whatever that might be. Yeah, yeah. That's that true. makes sense. So, yeah, I, did, I thought about it. I thought about it. I wasn't sure. Oh, I think you did it perfectly. You know, everything that Tasha is saying, it kind of points to an experience that I had and a big, huge question that I, I'm really excited to explore with you and hear your perspective on, Warren, and yours too, Tasha. And because I, I mean, third generation here, and I grew up, you know, spending my summers outside basically. And so I know the kind of Ontario outdoor landscape really well. And I spend a lot of time in it, even outside my door here in Toronto, I go every day and follow the, the dirty Don river. And I know all the trails through the woods. And so it's very easy for me to feel the connection to the land here. And every time I'm out in the land, there's a continuous kind of wondering about you know, there has been a culture that's been here for so long. What do they know about this place? What can I learn from that? And I read books on it and I try to learn, but then I always have this thing in me that's like, is this appropriation? You know, what's the line mm -hmm. between genuinely in this humble way, trying to learn from the the people that have been here and the kind of thing we see so often in our culture where suddenly that gets that gets used for its own purposes, you know, and am I allowed to move into an inquiry these days where I'm trying to learn about the land from the people who've been here before? Because the landscape on this is really completely transformed in the past five years, at least in Canada, and in a phenomenally good way, where there's just so much more empowerment coming from First Nations and Indigenous people. And there's so much more calling out of saying, hey, actually, you can't do that anymore. You can't just pretend to be the expert on this. You can't just cherry pick what you want as needed from these things that we've learned over millennia. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of, you know, putting it back to you. How do, how do we engage with this now in a way that is genuinely mm -hmm. respectful? What does that look like? Yeah. That's a great question. I have thought about this and I, I want to first acknowledge the complexity that's, and so that's like a natural part of humanity to me, but there is that like, 
that responsibility, especially, you know, being what I'm going to, I guess, as a white straight man uh, that you, that you are, is like, there's a responsibility or, or, or a wherewithal to be able to acknowledge, to be able to name things because you are kind of, whether you like it or not, at least to a lot of indigenous folks, like you are representing your ancestry, which can be sometimes stereotyped, unfortunately, but, you're representing it. And so how do you represent it in a way that can really honor and really role model what that looks like? So what I recommend for people to do is I actually think it all comes down to relationship. And I think a lot of indigenous, if you look at any indigenous community is probably worldwide, but definitely from the ones that I've intimately gotten to know in, in what is now known as British Columbia, it's a comes down a relationship. So like if you, for example, were to build a relationship with a couple elders, the couple indigenous people and really learn from them and you were able to ask them these questions, like, like this is something that I had to go through and it was absolutely terrifying process. Like I was so scared, even though I'm 50% of my blood is indigenous, like going from not really knowing anything to like learning, I was so scared to make mistakes and like go to a sweat lodge and make a mistake. Like I was really, really scared. For whatever reason, I was so scared, very vulnerable for me. And to learn over time, like what really feels like it honors those people. And, and sometimes I'd get up and I would speak and I would say things. And sometimes an elder would come up to me afterwards and they'd like tell me how I wasn't following protocol or they'd tell me a story or that they would hold me accountable essentially. And that's a really fascinating thing that that's kind of a tangent, but that kind of accountability and that kind of learning process, I don't experience in my like my Western life at all. Almost none. Because mm-hmm. it's so individualistic. It's like, do what you want. Yeah. I mean, my dad <laughs> could teach other things to me, right? Like he'll teach me how to do my taxes and how to iron a shirt. You know, like there's things he taught me, but it's not necessarily around ceremony and culture. And he's, he just doesn't have that. You know, the Canadian quote unquote culture is very different. So I think it really, for me, it comes down to relationships. It really comes down to it. And it can be hard that that to be able to like make that gap to like build a relationship with some indigenous people, it can be a hard gap to make. And of course, it has to be consensual. I feel like once this relationship is formed and there's a bond and they actually you actually care about each other, there's a usually more of a willingness, a consensual willingness for them to share. And yeah, you can be like, hey, if I were to say something like this, like, what's your thoughts? And like, how do you feel about that? And you can like learn and you can be in that state of humility and learn. Obviously, you need to be careful here because if you just like cold, cold approach an indigenous elder. That's what like, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to be careful. Wa- like, wander into some like, community hey, like, hey, man. I'm a white guy. I'm really interested <laughs> I heard you in have a sweat lodge. Uh... Sweat- yeah. Yeah, it's just like, uh... <laughs> it's like, see you later. Yeah. So, th- so that's like the the natural give and take of a relationship that's built and formed. I, that's what I believe. Um, like, as long as genuine consent is there, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't even necessarily need to be spoken per se. It can just be felt. Because there is like, there's a lot of rhetoric, a lot of discourse around like, you don't want to put like the emotional burden or the teaching burden on indigenous people. But at the same time, like, again, if there's a relationship, there's care there, there's a natural desire to want to. And, and I think a lot of indigenous elders that I know they can see that it's important. They want non-Indigenous folks to learn about their ways. It's it's a way of feeling yeah. connected and for them to learn. And if they you know start to embody some of those teachings, they're going to be less destructive to the planet and more, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of benefits overall. So, 
And I find it interesting that as a meditator over the years from being in lots of meditation retreats and being with lots of different people, one of the things I hear again and again and again is how the practice of getting quiet and getting humble and getting open completely transforms people's relationship with the land, with nature. You know, I hear this again and again and again, and I experience it myself. And, and in some ways, there's a, there is a core human capacity, you could say, to learn from the world around us, to sensitize ourselves to some of the things that historically have come from indigenous perspectives and indigenous learning and indigenous ways of being. Like we can, in a sense, renaturalize ourselves through a process of close attention and opening. And the specifics of how those cultures have done it are also incredibly interesting. <laughs> I mean, I have these interesting moments in my life where people know that I'm this indigenous fellowship trainer and like some of my friends and they'll they'll come to me and like with like a scenario. Like I remember this one, this one girl was like, I'm going to this wedding and I really had this idea. Like I want to make this giant dream catcher and give it as a wedding gift. Like, is, am I allowed to do that? You know, English girl or ancestry is all uh, almost hundred percent English. And I was like, is there anything you could pull from your own ancestry? And she's just like, I don't really know. I don't really have a connection to it. And I was like, okay, well, what about, what is it about the dream catcher that appeals to you? Like, just let's zoom out for a sec. Let's look at a dream catcher. What is it about it? She's like, oh, well, it's the circle, something about the circle and like dreams. And I was like, okay, great. Now that you have those pieces, I'm going to invite you to like sit in meditation and allow your creative energy, life force energy to like come up with an idea of something that you could create from scratch. And it, to me, it kind of connects to what you're saying there. When we're in that silent place and we're actually feeling that we're developing our own connection to the land, that's when our own indigeneity can be reborn or, or be reconnected to. It's like an authenticity, right? Like you're speaking through the symbols that are coming up for you rather than... Exactly. One's and like that's pulling. how everything was... That's how the dream catcher was created, yeah. right? That's how it was made in the first place. It's It's from a connection to the land. It's like... It's speaking to us through our dreams and, you know, whatever it is. And so she did it and she created her own thing and she <laughs> gave it and she messaged me back so excited and being like, it was such a powerful process. It's exactly like, it's what children do, right? It's that freedom and authenticity and connection. Like a kid will be like, I want to make you a birthday present. And it'll be like some boxes taped together and covered with paint or something. You're like, this is beautiful. Thank you. You know, because the kid is just like giving directly from the heart, from just like the message that they want to transmit to you that doesn't have to be filtered through cultural anything. Yeah, just pure creativity. Mm -hmm. One of the things I like about uh, your invitation is that the piece around the reciprocity with the land, uh, which is so central. There's this classic sort of Western, I guess you could call it, tendency to see nature as a bunch of objects, as opposed to a community of subjects, as opposed to recognizing mm -hmm. there's a kind of subjectivity in nature, that nature has a perspective, many, many perspectives, that nature looks back, and that there's a way of meeting nature as in, in a horizontal, peer-to-peer -peer way, and that when you genuinely are responding to trees and animals and plants and mountains and streams and whatever it is, all the things in nature in that way it completely changes the experience and it opens up, I guess you'd say dimensions of feeling and a, or as you put it, a channel of communication that I have found in my life to be stunning. 
and I can't, it's very hard to put words to it, but I trust those relationships to teach me something. Yeah. I've seen it the most from the people back home in the Okanagan and Penticton, but I've seen this in a lot of different indigenous cultures and I've seen it mo more so in like North American Turtle Island indigenous cultures, but maybe it exists everywhere. But it's like the idea of you're constantly seeing metaphor and the land is always teaching you like you're walking mm. down the path and you see an owl in a tree and it's like that meat can mean so many things metaphorically. And then like a tree branch breaks in front of you. Everything mm -hmm. can mean something and you can constantly be learning metaphorically from all of your environment. It's to a degree that like sometimes I almost poke at and I'm just like I make I, I'm, I'm, I don't make fun of it. like I'm teasing around it. Like everything is a metaphor. Like I've taken it to ridiculous degrees. And sometimes even in my workshops, I joke about starting the workshop being like, okay, everyone, let's take a deep breath. <sighs> and be like, okay, let's debrief that. You know, what what happened for you? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, it's true. And it's, it's, jo it's joking as it is. Like in that single yeah. breath, you could find out so much about who you are and what you're no going question. through right now. But that's, that's one thing I really learned from my Okanagan roots is like, how much symbolism and metaphors in everything, yeah. every moment, and especially in nature. I relate to that so much. And what's interesting I find about it is there's no question there's a place you get to from practice where suddenly I enter a period where there's synchronicities everywhere. And by synchronicity, I mean there's just a sense of continual, meaningful things happening that are kind of reflecting each other. And I don't necessarily read any too much into any one thing, but what, what the feeling is more like everything is meaningful, like the bird crossing the sky at that exact moment and the sound coming from the street right there and then the overhearing this conversation and then this memory that comes up to me right there and then the light in the tree right there. And it, the only word I can have for it is it feels like it's been painted, like it's a kind of multi-sensory tableau that in a snapshot of the moment, every part is coherently related to every other. Mm -hmm. And this feeling, this isn't intellectual. This is something I feel in my being, in my bones. Mm -hmm. And just to be suspended in that is so fulfilling. It's so, and it's because it's like everything is meaningful now. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing that's cheap or has to be discounted. Everything is included in this larger sense of, of value. Mm -hmm. And I can find myself getting trapped in the opposite, which is just seeing like things through an almost completely left brain perspective of just like, that's mm -hmm. a tree. That's my car. That's, this is my house. And it's just like, creates the sense of apathy. It can create, a, yeah. I've, I've gone through long periods of time in my life where I'm just like, it's just like nothing really matters. Who cares? You know, I can fall into that if I'm not careful. Mm. And it's, yeah, I find that really interesting. I think probably a lot of the world struggles with that, especially in the more Western mm. developed worlds where like we build so much comfort in our homes and, and, and all the structure and we kind of just live through social media and video games. And it's so easy to be disconnected from nature and from, from human, other human beings and communities. And having like an I, it relationship with everything. Yeah. Just that thing over there, that thing over there, like utility rather than meaning and messages. I mean, it's just so desolating describing that. I mean, that's the essence of the existential despair I spent years in. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Definitely. That is the alienation at the root, you know? Yeah, I can a lot of times find myself like walking outside at the beginning of a day and I, I see someone be like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. And you can just see it means so much to them. And I'm just like, what do you mean? It's just a day. Like, I've just been like, <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about? 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I've, I've been in very different places of my life yeah. where like I've, I've been super moved by just like experiencing the sunshine and looking at a tree and just being mm. like, oh my gosh, there's just so much to it. And that's when it becomes so obvious that like we are co-creating mm. our experience, you know, it's mm. like you can, you're both stepping into object, what seems objectively like the same day. But those experience, yeah. those two different experiences of what that day is like are like night and day, just so completely different. And it's like, what level of openness of receptivity or whatever you're bringing to it. Yeah. And it makes me really think about like, I do, I do a good amount of work with teenage boys and it's something that I still think I'm still trying to like figure out how do I fundamentally teach someone how to be really present with what is and appreciate exactly what they're experiencing. Cause it, it can be tricky. It, it's almost like an alien concept sometimes. So yeah. yeah, it was for me for so long. Well, I appreciate your being willingness to share the flip side of that, of the feeling of being alienated and not connected and what that's like, because mm -hmm. what you learn from practice is that if that's what's happening, then that's also the thing that you need to open to as the beginning of healing that. And that sure isn't easy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to ask even just some more like practical questions, you know, for somebody like I really, really connected with the practice we did today. How what's a way that I can integrate this into my daily practice or even just as I'm going around town, keeping that sense of connection alive? Yeah, I think it's I, I would say something around find your own ceremony, evolve it. It's going to probably take some experimentation, but see if you can find songs, whether you want to sing them yourself or it's something you want to listen to and just make it like a ritual. Maybe it's a certain spot you like to go to. For some people, they're going to want variety. Some people are going to want maybe more consistency. But even if it's five minutes, I probably recommend going onto the land, like into nature. But even if you can't, right, even if that's not accessible, use your power of your imagination. But just evolve your own practice and just experiment with what really moves you. And I think the more time you spend connecting with the land, it's actually going to start to give you more ideas. It's going to start to, you're going to have more insights and like, oh, maybe I can try that. Yeah, thank you. Amazing. Well, we'll have to get you on again. And there's a whole part there about exploring how you open to your ancestors too. Mm -hmm. And that whole complicated thing, which you allude to. So maybe a future discussion and practice. And thank you, Warren, for for coming on. Yeah, my thank pleasure. You so much. My pleasure. I really I really enjoy talking about these things. My friend, thank you for sharing it with us. Thanks for tuning in to the Consciousness Explorers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like this episode, give us a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts. See you next week for a whole new adventure.